0: You are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's covering everything about Nick's upcoming season of The Bachelor. Now the man with all your spoilers and behind-the-scenes juice in Bachelor Nation. Here's Reality Steve. What's up? Welcome to podcast number three. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you for tuning in and thank you for tuning in to the previous two podcasts. I really appreciate it. And if I may ask you, not beg, but if I may ask you to rate and review on iTunes, it definitely helps. It's not mandatory, but it definitely helps um, your status as an iTunes podcaster and it will help going forward. So uh, any feedback as well, you want to email me at Steve at Reality Steve or send me a tweet at Reality Steve. Not too much of an Instagrammer, as you can probably tell by now. But anyway, uh, for podcast number three, got a few things on the docket today. One of the things I'm going to talk about right off the bat is the Josh and Amanda situation. Then I'm going to move on to some spoilers for next season. Spoilers that I have not given you yet. So I will reveal a couple in today's podcast. Obviously, I still have the episode-by-episode spoilers coming out, but this is going to be almost like a tease for the episode-by-episode spoilers as I give you some information on dates and eliminations that I haven't given you yet. I have teased a couple of these things, but now I will give you the actual answers to them. And then we'll round out today's podcast talking about some television shows that I'm currently watching, Um, Survivor that just ended, my thoughts on that, Designated Survivor uh, on ABC with Kiefer Sutherland. As you know, I'm a huge, huge fan of the television show 24 with Kiefer on it. So naturally, I was going to watch Designated Survivor and I have a few opinions on that show, not all of them positive. And a couple other things that I'm watching that I will get to. But let's first start off with the Josh and Amanda situation. They are broken up. As of me recording this podcast, they have not released an official statement. So if it does get released by the time you hear this podcast, obviously that won't be addressed in this. And frankly, I don't care what they say in the podcast or excuse, on the podcast in the statement that they eventually will release. I'm assuming they're going to release a statement. They are a quote unquote power couple from this franchise. And usually When a major couple, power couple from this franchise breaks up, they do release a statement, usually through people.com. And it's always the same stuff where, you know, we love each other or we care about each other, just didn't work out. I wish them all the best, blah, 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 blah. But we know that Josh Murray's past in this franchise, we've all heard or read the things in Andy's book. No matter what they say in any statement that's going to be released, um, there's going to be some mudslinging between these two. I can guarantee you that. And, but let me let me just back up a little bit and and, and talk about this breakup that I had reported back two weeks ago. Tomorrow um, was the first to report that you know, look, everybody, you know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news on this, but Josh and Amanda are broken up. And obviously I got a lot of questions about that because the, the night before I had said that they were at Becca's blog launch party at the mansion. And that was when she had the infamous Taco Bell Instagram story of recording Josh when they were at the drive-thru and Josh just had this look on his face like he wanted to murder somebody. And I came out the next day and said, look, they're, they're broken up. Um, a lot of stuff, since that happened. But the main thing was I was going to stand by my sources. I knew they were broken up, but I couldn't sit here and say like, well, this is when they're going to officially make the announcement or why are they still possibly hanging out? Because there were a couple sightings of them on social media. Of course, it was only on Josh's social media in case you weren't paying attention to that. Because from the day that I posted Amanda's and Josh's breakup, have you noticed that Not one post on Amanda's social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram story. She never included one picture, video of Josh in her social media outlets. Not one. Josh did a couple with Amanda, but it was just so funny because Amanda was sitting there, I think two days after I posted it that Thursday, they had lunch in Laguna Beach. I don't remember if you saw... Josh posts that picture, that was on his Snapchat, of them at lunch, you know, took a selfie together. Yet on Amanda's Snapchat, she posts on the drive to Laguna Beach, she posts when they were sitting at lunch, and she just takes a panoramic view of the ocean. Yet Josh is sitting right next to her and she never posted a picture of him. I think it was obvious. I mean, it was to me. I mean, I, I knew that they were broken up, but. It should have been obvious to a lot of you what was going on there. Um, No matter what Josh said, I didn't buy it. I didn't care what he said because none of it was true. He was trying to save face. I don't understand why he did that considering Amanda wasn't reciprocating it. And you could say, well, Steve, maybe Amanda didn't want to share her relationship life with social media. And to that, I just laugh furiously because let's face it. Amanda, Amanda Stanton has done nothing but post pictures of Josh and her kids and Josh and her kids and her and Josh since the Bachelor in Paradise finale back on September 8th. And that's, I think, one of the biggest issues I have with the two of them. And obviously this is, this is my opinion. I've never had children before. I've never been married before. So maybe this is coming from a different place. Maybe you don't agree and that's fine. But here's my thoughts on the biggest issue I had with Josh and Amanda. Outside of the obvious of, look, I think you guys jumped into it too early. Amanda saw a bunch of red flags. Plenty of people in Paradise were telling Amanda exactly what to look out for and she knew that there was a book out there, but she chose not to believe it, whatever the case may be. But I think my biggest issue in the whole Amanda and Josh relationship is how soon she went to the social media with Josh and the kids. I think that was, to me, completely disrespectful to the father of her children, her ex-husband, Nick. My thinking is that we heard her talk about Nick, not mention him by name, but we heard her talk about him on Ben's season, where she didn't depict him in the greatest of lights. Apparently, just cheated on her, was seeing other women behind her back. So, and that's fine. If she if that's what he did in their relationship, I don't know if it's true or not. Um, I, I've heard the same things you did, that that's the way it was. And, she was at home with the kids a lot, and he didn't take care of the kids as much as nearly as much as she did, and that's fine. And if she wants to throw him under the bus on on Ben's season for that, she has every right to. I I wouldn't have done it if I were her, but that's her decision. However, no matter how you feel about your ex husband, he is the father of your children, and Bachelor in Paradise ended filming June twenty sixth started airing beginning of August and the finale aired September 8th. So from June 26th until September 8th, we know Amanda and Josh were spending time together. We saw it on Instagram. We saw it on Twitter. People were seeing them out together. Josh was hanging out with Charlie and Kinsley. And it was obvious that they were together and it was spoiled that they were together. They had spent those two months together. So when September 8th rolls around, And they can finally go, quote unquote, public with their relationship on social media. Both of them can say like, yes, we are together. We are in love and whatever. For her to immediately go to the social media card of Josh with Kinsley on his shoulders and them at Disneyland and them taking stage photo shoots on the beach. Like I have a problem with that. I I really did. I thought it was too much. I thought it was completely disrespectful to the ex-husband. He is her father. He is their father not Josh. And Josh didn't help matters by posting those himself, hashtagging that my new family, like Josh, these aren't, these aren't your daughters. This isn't your family. This is your girlfriend slash fiance who happens to have two kids. I think there's a big difference there. And Josh got completely lost in it because he was so excited to put Andy behind him and show everybody like, Hey, I got a new girl and look at how I look at how great I treat her. And She's got two girls that I love to death, and I'm going to show everyone. It was just over-the-top ridiculous. And I found it disrespectful, and I found it to be a little lacking in tact, to be honest with you. Josh seems to be so hell-bent on repairing his image that he knew by posting pictures with his new fiance's two little cute girls that people would kind of forget the Andy stuff. And frankly, we didn't. At least I didn't. I didn't buy any of it that he was posting. I didn't care what he posted because if Josh and Amanda had been dating for two or three years and gotten engaged and, you know, he had spent a year, two years, possibly three years with these girls, then you can do the the photo shoots on the beach. Then you can do the, hey, we're at Disneyland and we're such a great new family. Two months? Really? Josh, you barely knew these girls and you were so anxious and Amanda too. I'm not, they're equally at fault here for this breakup, but to immediately go to that card and immediately take to the social media to tell everybody what a great new family you have. And you're, you love the two new girls and you're at Disneyland every other day and you're snapping every five seconds. Like it's just, it's excessive. And I've said this repeatedly in my column. You know, I've said this numerous times and I find it to be true. To me, and this isn't for everybody, but to me, the more I see couples flaunt how much they're in love on social media, the less I believe them, because you don't need to do that. It just is unnecessary, and it seems like you're trying to prove yourselves to the public. And we know, especially with these couples and the way the track record is of this franchise, it is certainly something that these people will try to do because they have to probably have a little more convincing of the public that they need to do as opposed to your friends down the street that are now dating. They don't need to go on social media and constantly tell everybody how much they're in love and every time they're at dinner and every time they're hanging out at the apartment watching Frozen with the girls. like It doesn't need to be done that way for a normal couple. And I know that they're in the public eye and I know they shared their relationship on Bachelor in Paradise. So they feel some sort of, I don't know, obligation to share it continuously after the fact. But you go to Amanda's Instagram, you go to Josh's Instagram since September 8th, and it was excessive. It was over the top. And I found it disrespectful of what she did to her ex-husband. It's just... It's too much. You don't flaunt your new boyfriend that you've known for two months that you barely, still barely know and allow him to tweet and Instagram the things that Josh did. It was just too much for me. And frankly, when the breakup announcement was made by me a couple weeks ago, I don't think it was you know really surprising to anybody. But it's still a situation where you're dealing with two people that were on a reality show and the total amount of time they basically were together were, were six months. So Josh and Amanda last six months. And this past weekend, I had said I had found out information on Saturday that it was officially, it was definitely done. Obviously, I knew it was done. But on Saturday, I if you've looked at my Twitter, you saw that I tweeted out that these two were definitely done and that Josh was moving back to Atlanta the next morning. And then, what did we see yesterday morning? We saw Instagram story and video of Josh in his car driving back with Sable. So that proved to be true yet again. And the crazy thing was was just the reaction. And I and I say this a lot, and <laughs> you know it, it is what it is, but. You know, the reaction that some people have to the couples on this show, it's just something that I can't comprehend and I'll never understand. And to see people commenting under Josh's picture about, you know, oh, my God, this is my these are my couple goals. And oh, my gosh, you two should stay together. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to die. I'm crying like. I'm seriously I'm not being flippant here and I'm not putting on a bit really? Like, think about what you're saying. You're you're talking about two people that you don't know at all, that you've never met, probably will never meet, will never talk to, will never become friends with, and you're crying that they were together six months and you broke up and they broke up. Like, really? Like I said, it's just something I can't wrap my head around. And whether or not that makes me cynical or whatever, I, I just think it's called being realistic. Every single one of these couples, like I'm not happy to announce that Josh and Amanda have broken up. It doesn't, I don't get any pleasure out of it. All I'm is the middleman. I'm I My job as reality Steve is to give you information about the show that I know. I knew that Josh and Amanda were broken up, so I reported it. I never said, ha, ha, ha. I never said, told you so it was going to happen, even though, I mean, this was something that I think a lot of people saw coming. So it doesn't behoove me to say that. I'm just reporting what it was. I'm just reporting what I knew. And to be the middleman in a situation like that, and have people, you know, somehow be mad at me for, for telling you what is going to, what you're going to see. I mean, it's no different than me telling you the spoilers. It's just, here's what you're going to see, except Josh and Amanda's What you're going to see with Josh and Mana is basically going to be a a statement being released by them to some media outlet. But it was, uh, it's really disturbing to see some of the comments. Uh, Just overall, whether it was to my tweet or whether it was to Josh's pictures. I don't get people sometimes. I really don't. And it really makes you shake your head and it really makes you question these people that seem to be living in fantasy land because that's essentially you know, what it is. It's cool to have your favorites. I get that. But then I read some of the people's comments and it's like I'm living in an alternate reality that someone is that affected by two people who dated for six months and broke up. What? Just think about that for a second. It, it truly is amazing. I just don't know how people can care uh, that much about a couple that they don't know and I say it every season. I don't care about these couples. I care about the show and the the things that happen on it, but I don't I don't invest any emotional attachment to any of these people or couples. That's not my job. I never have and I never will. It's just something that comes with the territory of being who I am and what I've established on my website. It's just, "Hey, I'm here to report what I know." And I will pass it along to you when I know. And here it is. Josh and Amanda are broken up. There. And now if you ask me right now, what are the reasons? What what happened to these two? Are they going to get back? Like for the last three months that they've been dating publicly since September 8th, you know, the stuff about the constant breakups and getting back together and they fight a lot and there's jealousy issues and insecurity issues. I mean, those are probably they're all true. I don't even want to say probably. I know they're true but I'm not going to sit here and go into details about Josh and Amanda's relationship. It's, it's over. I don't want to, there's no reason to dissect where and why it went wrong. I just gave you my thoughts on exactly how I felt. I thought the, I thought the social media stuff so early in the relationship was just wrong and disrespectful to the ex. And that's my, pretty much my bottom line opinion on these two. And I'm sure Amanda will get a boyfriend in the near future And I'm sure Josh will get a girlfriend in the near future. I just hope they learn from this and they don't immediately make a social media spectacle of their relationship. Will it happen? Will it not happen? I guess time will tell. But um, I hope both of them learn something from this because if they didn't, you're probably going to repeat the same mistake you did. And that sucks for them. And it sucks in general. Breakups are not fun. Breaking up when you're a public figure I'm sure isn't fun either. Amanda has been broken up for two weeks and yet hasn't acknowledged it, nor bothered to put a picture out there about Josh, even though she did it nonstop from September 8th until the breakup. So, you know, it sucks, but we move on. Like, Josh and Amanda are done. There's really no reason to talk about them much anymore. Obviously, there will be stuff coming out in the media, I'm sure. Um, Josh now has two public engagement breakups, not to mention a third Appearance on a television show, famously single, that didn't portray him in the greatest of lights. So we'll see if it gets better from here. But I have a feeling, and I don't know this uh, for a fact, but I I don't think, no matter what they say in a public statement, tabloids are going to dig. And tabloids are going to find people in Amanda's camp, and they're going to find people in Josh's camp that have something bad to say about the other person. It's coming expect it and just know that anything coming from the Murray camp is essentially coming from his family because they will absolutely 100% leak stuff to the media uh, to make Amanda look bad. And then I'm sure they'll get to Amanda's friends who will have some not so nice things to say about Josh. Hell, even in E! Online's story over the weekend, they said the breakup was because of Josh's temper. I mean, that's already out there. So trust me, whatever they say in their statement about caring for each other and going our separate ways. It just didn't work out. We still care each other a lot. Josh is a great man. A is a great woman. Yada, yada, yada. Trust me behind the scenes, they are leaking the negative stuff to the tabloids and it will get out. So that's my final thoughts on Josh and Amanda. They're done. Let's move on. Only one couple from Patrick in paradise left. That's Carly and Evan. They got a lot of pressure on them right now, but uh, let's take a moment to gather our thoughts here. Um, Told you everything I wanted to about Josh and Amanda. Now let's move on to some spoilers for a second. So I gave you the episode one description. I did watch it last week. Typical episode one. There's only so much you can do in that first episode, you know? I mean, the girls, you have the introduction of Nick as the Bachelor. You show his background. You show intro videos of the girls. You have 30 girls getting out of limos. That takes up time. You got a cocktail party and you got a roast ceremony. There's only so much you can do in the first episode. So it's just a matter of who are these people who, who gets some airtime in the first episode, who do you, who can you tell he connects with in the first episode. But everything I laid out in my column last week is what you're going to see. It's not a, you know, a guess or a speculation about what you're going to see. Like I sat there, I watched the episodes, I took notes and said, this is what you are going to see. So, you have your spoilers for episode one outside of the rose ceremony part of it, because honestly, right now, I don't know the eight that go home. I know about five or six that definitely are, are gone the first night. But there's two that I don't know, which carries over into other episodes. And it's like, well, if they made it to two, did they make it to three? And if they got eliminated at two and it's somebody different than I had getting eliminated at two, it's like, all right, well, where did I screw up there? So like I said, I've got everything from final nine on. It's the earlier earlier episodes that I'm working on right now to try and get to you with all your dates or well, the dates I have pretty much covered. It's um, the eliminations and exactly when they happen. Cause sometimes it's not even good enough to say, Hey, so-and-so goes home episode three, because if I say they go home in episode three and they actually get eliminated during the episode in episode three, as opposed to getting eliminated at the rose ceremony, it's almost like I'm wrong, which I guess if you're being technical, I guess it would be wrong, but, You know, I try and get you as as detailed as I can. But also last week, I did give you some things in my column that teased some of the things that you will see this season. There's going to be two two two-on-one dates. Both are filled with some dramatic. There was a pool party on Nick's birthday during filming. That was the day of a rose ceremony. Uh, One girl got eliminated on her two-on-one date that came back after her elimination to give Nick a piece of her mind. Um, I believe there is a Rose Ceremony where no one gets eliminated. Uh, people getting eliminated before Rose Ceremonies. There's, As of right now, I know of four, but since I don't know every elimination, there obviously could be more. Uh, a group date where the winning team gets extra time and the losing team has to go home, but that gets changed because the losing team is so upset and Nick ends up keeping all of them Let me answer a couple of these for you right now. So here is... Exclusive. That's my exclusive uh, breaking music right there. Let me answer a couple of these for you right now. There will be two two two-on-one dates this season. I can tell you right now, the first two-on-one date happens in New Orleans. We know that... What's her face? Rachel. Rachel has the first one-on-one date in new Orleans and obviously gets a rose she that's where they do dancing in the street and they go see a private performance by Lolo or Lola, whatever her name was. I think it's Lolo. Um, Then there's a group date and then there is a two-on-one date that two-on-one date in new Orleans, not being reported anywhere else. So please credit the podcast or my site uh, with reporting this first that the two-on-one date is between Corinne Olympios and Taylor Nolan. Obviously, knowing that Corinne got to the Final Four, Taylor is the one that is eliminated on the two-on-one date, and she is not happy about it. She's the one that comes back, not later on in the episode, apparently later on that night, and basically goes off on Nick. And as we know, Corinne is the villain this season, I don't know the exact words that Taylor says, but I'm sure it surrounds the fact that how can you keep a girl like Corinne around and not me? You're being fooled by her. You know, you're losing sight of this. She acts one way around you and then she does around us. But yeah, Taylor is the one that actually gets eliminated in New Orleans on the two on one and comes back to give Nick a piece of her mind. And apparently it's really good, like goes off on him. The next two-on-one date is, let me pull this up again because I almost forgot it off now that I think about it. Hold on. Sorry about that. I should have had this prepared and ready to go. Let's go to my Microsoft Word, Nick Spoilers. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. It was um, actually the very next episode. Yeah, the very next episode, they go to, Yeah, episode four was Wisconsin. Episode five, New Orleans. Episode six, they go to St. Thomas. And there's a one-on-one who I will fill in for you. I actually have pictures of that one-on-one date that I have not posted yet. There is a group date, which we will get to in a second. But I first wanted to get to the second two-on-one date of the season. That happens in St. Thomas. And that is between... Danielle Lombard and Whitney Fransway. So they get the second two-on-one date of the season. And the reason why it is so dramatic is Nick eliminates both of them. Whitney is the first one to go. And then later on that night, see, this is where I'm look, trying to get some other details about this. However, when they did show the clip, there have been a couple of clips, like season preview clips that have been released You do see Danielle Lombard sitting at dinner with Nick and saying, I think I'm falling in love with you. I'm assuming that was the night of the two-on-one date where they got the, you know, he sends Whitney home and he goes and spends the rest of the day with Danielle Lombard. Well, when Danielle Lombard tells him that, uh, Nick doesn't feel that way about Danielle and he eliminates her. So Danielle and Whitney are both eliminated on the two-on-one date in St. Thomas. As for the group date that I was talking about where there was one team was supposed to win and get extra time and the losing team goes home, that was also in St. Thomas and it was a volleyball game and it was three on three. One team won, one team didn't. And Nick ended up keeping all of them for the extra time that night because apparently the girls that lost were very upset and crying and he felt bad. So all those six continued on in the date. So I wanted to fill you in on those particular spoilers, the two, two on ones, the group date. Um, Do I want to, do I want to fill you in yet on uh, some of the other ones that I had uh, labeled there? Uh, Let's see the two, two on ones I did. Four people eliminated before a Rose Ceremony. Well, I gave you basically four. I Actually, I just told you three of those four. I and mean, you know the other one is Elizabeth Sandoz. So those are the four that I was talking about that I know of right now. Elizabeth Sandoz is eliminated during the group date in episode two where they go to the Museum of Broken Relationships. I guess he pulls her aside and just says, look, the, the whole thing with us just isn't working. Um, basically didn't. I don't think he, Nick appreciated her showing up on the show, which is understandable to me. And then, so that's the first person that goes home before a rose ceremony that I know of. And then obviously, Taylor Nolan gets eliminated on the 2 on one in New Orleans. She goes home early before a rose ceremony. And then the two girls in St. Thomas, Danielle Lombard and Whitney Fransway, both get eliminated on the 2 on one date in St. Thomas. So there's probably one or two more that get eliminated before a rose ceremony, but those are the four that I know about, and those are the ones that I wrote about last week. And then I told you about the group date where they get extra time. So those are some spoilers I wanted to fill you in on real quick before we get to the episode-by-episode episode, episode episode spoilers, which I've got uh, two weeks to get you your answers. If not, I'll fill in with as much as I can. And just know that anything I don't have is in episodes 2, 3, f- and 4. Because from episode 5 on no, sorry. Episode six on, I know who's left. Episode five, I'm still not sure the exact amount that went to New Orleans. Once I know the exact amount of girls that went to New Orleans, I'll know who got eliminated just by process of elimination. So wanted to fill you in on those and give you some spoilers before you actually got your episode by episode spoilers. So how about that? The podcast, the first time ever I've revealed something on a podcast before it hit my column. What a great guy. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. No, I appreciate all the love. No, seriously. No, sit, 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 sit down. Sit down, please. You don't have to applaud for that. No, no, it's okay. Anyway, uh, moving on to our last segment, I wanted to talk about some television shows that I'm watching right now, keeping an eye on some things. And some may interest you, some may not. So whether you want to continue to listen, that's up to you. But I want to talk about three shows right now that have piqued my interest. Obviously I watch survivor every season. It's my favorite reality show has always been my favorite reality show. And I can imagine will probably always be my favorite reality show till the end of time. Also designated survivor with Kiefer Sutherland. And I want to talk very briefly about Nashville, but let's start with survivor whose finale aired last week with Adam winning in the final tribal, 10 votes to nothing. And for those who maybe do have been following along with Brian Fisher's column that I post usually every Friday. I just posted his finale recap. It's very long. Um, I posted it today and hope you can go check that out. If you are a frequent reader of Brian, uh, there is some interesting information at the bottom of his column, the very last few paragraphs that kind of go into a little bit of detail. I appreciate Brian kind of opening up something that I had known about for a while. Um, and talk to him about explains why he wasn't around writing last season of survivor and talks a little bit about where he's at in his life right now with him and his family. So, um, I'd appreciate you reaching out to Brian. If you are a reader of his, if you are a fan of his and just giving him your support, um, maybe sending him a message, uh, tweeting at him, maybe sending him an email, whatever the case may be. But, um, you know it is the holiday season. Not everybody has great holidays, and I think if you read Brian's stuff today, you'll you'll see where he's at. And so, if you could tune into that, read that, and uh, give Brian uh, your well wishes going forward. But as for the finale itself, I didn't have a problem with Adam winning as much as as much as Brian did. I just think this game has changed from what it once was. I think a lot of people know that because there's been so many seasons. There's been a lot of tape to watch of past seasons and how certain players played. And I think Adam did a fine job. He won challenges. He maneuvered. He put people on the jury but didn't put them on the jury to where they were so pissed off in him that they didn't want to vote for him in the end. I mean, hell, he had a clean sweep. Did I think he was going to go 10-0 in the final tribal council vote? No, I didn't at all. That was somewhat surprising to me. But I sat there and I looked at Ken, who who did well in challenges, but, I mean, I can sit here in, at home and say anything I want about this show and these contestants and how I would have voted, and how. but ultimately it comes down to these people out there. They were the ones that experienced it. They were the ones that lived it. it Ten of them thought – Adam should have won, which they did since they all voted for him, then obviously Ken and Hannah really did nothing to sway them. And it's one of these situations where, yeah, it was such a blowout, but it was still a very compelling season because going into that finale, I thought three people had a really good shot to win it. Like I wouldn't have been surprised if any of the three won, which was David, Jay, or Adam. If any of those three won, I would have been like, I'm fine with it. I thought Ken and Hannah probably were or, or actually i thought i thought ken Hanna, ken Hanna, and brett were probably i would have been a mildly surprised but i wouldn't have been flabbergasted if they won but jay david and adam going into that finale i had no clue because a lot of it depends like you know nothing going into the finale you have no idea who's winning a challenge and who could possibly be voting out who and There's so many X factors. You just don't know. It's almost like you have to sit there and be like, okay, if this person wins the challenge when there's down to six people and they are immune and they have immunity, who would be next to go? And you don't know if who found an idol or anything like that. So it's very hard to predict that show. I just going into the fight. Once it was down to Ken, Hannah and Adam, I knew Adam was going to win. I didn't think he was going to win 10, nothing though, but I don't have a problem with him. I, I think he, he played a great game, didn't upset a lot of people. Obviously, his the, the backstory with his mother played a huge role, and I'm sure it had an influence at final tribal, but I don't think it had an influence over him winning. I think he was going to win anyway. I think maybe it garnered him one or two more votes. Maybe he would have won 8-2 if he didn't tell that story. 9-1, maybe that put him over the edge, but he was going to get six votes out of those 10, no matter if he told the story about his mother or not. It was just inevitable. He played too good of a game. He didn't piss people off. And that's what it's come down to. It's why I found Survivor to be the most interesting reality show out there. It's always something that I've been fascinated by because the winner is determined by the other people that play the game with you, who you put on the jury. So you have to play a well enough game to where, yeah, you eliminated people, but you didn't piss them off in the process. And that's not an easy thing to do sometimes. And It's why Russell Hance didn't win his first season of Survivor is he maneuvered and blindsided people and they didn't vote for him in the end because they were pissed off at him. And the ending of the show has always been weird to me because I don't know if you know this, I think if you're a die-hard Survivor fan, you know, they filmed seasons back to back this season of Survivor Millennials versus Gen X was filmed in April and May of earlier this year. So literally, these people have waited nine months to know this result, and people have said, well, what if they waited until the actual live finale for these people to actually watch the show, the jury members to watch the show play out on TV, and then make their vote? And I think there could be a case made for that, but I don't think it's going to be a strong case, just because... There's too many things that can happen. There could be money exchanging hands. You could be buying people off, buying jury members off in the nine months before that finale airs, that live finale. I just don't think it can happen. I think you have to make the vote out there when they're out there after they had played the game. But with that being said, if somehow, some way the votes were made after everybody on the jury got to actually watch the season play out, I think we'd have different winners across the board over many seasons. I think that's the one, if there's an issue I have with this show, it is the fact that you vote right when the game ends, when you're playing it, as opposed to not everyone out there gets to see what we get to see. Us as a viewing audience get to see a completely different show than the people that played it. And it's, it's a really weird dynamic. I just don't know what the solution is. I do think it's weird that they get to vote right away and not watch the show and not see how some people may have acted or some people may have made some good moves That they thought, wow, this person made a really good move, but then they want to watch it back when it actually airs on TV. They're like, that wasn't really a good move at all. And so that would have maybe changed their vote at the end. So that's something that I've always thought about Survivor. I just don't know how you really change it because you can't wait till the live finale to have the jury vote. There's too many things that can happen. These people all talk. They were done filming in May. You really think every single one of these, Adam knew he won because he talked to jury members and they basically told him, yeah, I voted for you. So he had basically counted up the people that gave him votes and he knew he was going to win. So there's that. (laughs) It's just one of these things where I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you change it. And I just know that if you were to have the vote later on where the jury could actually see the show, I think you would have some different winners in the past. But off the top of my head with 33 seasons to sit here and say like, okay, let's go, Season two, who won this? Do I think it would have won? It would have been different if, you know, I'm not going to do that. That would take years. And plus, I'm not as much of a diehard. Someone like Brian Fisher, I guarantee you. Our survivor recapper, Brian Fisher, could probably do that and tell you who he thinks and probably would make a good, compelling case of who he thinks would have won if the jury voted in real time after he had watched the show. Moving on to the next show is Designated Survivor on ABC it's Kiefer Sutherland show where he becomes the president of the United States after the Capitol building is blown up in the first episode. And I've had people ask me my opinions on this show because they know I'm a huge Kiefer Sutherland fan based on my obsession with the television show 24. And I do like designated survivor. I will absolutely watch it until the last episode airs. It's just so similar to 24 to me that I will never like it as much as 24. It is like, It is, I sit there and I watch it and I'm like, that's basically just Jack Bauer in a suit. He talks the same way he did on 24. He has the same facial reactions, the way he talks to his staffers. It's the same way he talked to his field agents on 24. It's just, the storylines are almost the same. You know, this storyline with the CIA director Atwood, who they kidnapped his son And so he had to lie and say that he killed Najir Massad or whatever that guy's name is. And it's like, that's exactly the same storyline from season one of 24 when they kidnapped Jack's daughter. And he had to lie and do things so his daughter wouldn't be killed. And that's exactly what Atwood is doing right now. There's so many crossover similarities that this show does. It's almost like I'm watching. It's like they're trying to be 24 but pretending not to be 24, even though it's Kiefer Sutherland and we're all looking at him as Jack Bauer. And the way that, you know, in one of the last episodes of Designated Survivor, the, the other CIA agent, Maggie Q, that's her name in real life, you know, is trying to deliver evidence that's going to implicate Peter McLeish, yet she gets sideswiped by another car because somebody knows that she's doing it. It's absolutely 100% taken right out of 24's playbook. Somebody that's about to deliver evidence gets captured or killed or hurt and they can't deliver it in a timely manner. Like this is so similar to 24. With that said, I thoroughly enjoy Designated Survivor. I'll watch it, like I said, till the very last episode, but it's such a, <laughs> I don't want to say it's a copycat because it's not a copycat. It's its like completely different, but still the same because Jack Bauer, aka Kiefer Sutherland, is not a field agent running out there with guns and stuff like that. But yet here he is as the president of the United States. And he knows so much for a guy that was basically on his way out. And he was the director of housing and urban development. Yet they, they throw him into the presidential role. And he seems to know a lot of stuff about being the president for having been newly, you know, indo- indoctrinated, inaugurated in, or elected in whatever the, whatever the phrase I'm looking for is, but, It's a good show. I enjoy it. It's very suspenseful. There's a lot of storylines going on, you know, between his family, between the CIA, between his staff. It's very similar to 24 in that way. Obviously not done in real time like 24, but it is a situation where it's like, okay, it's almost like I sit there and I go, I've seen this before. Almost like Homeland. Homeland is written by the same people who wrote 24. And the first few seasons of Homeland is like, God, I've seen these storylines before. Same exact thing, just with different characters. Instead of Jack and CTU, I'm dealing with Claire Danes and the CIA. It's the same thing. But I still like the shows. But since 24 came first, 24 will be it for me. Like, that's the show for me. And I don't think any one of these shows is ever going to pass it. So... Those are my thoughts on Designated Survivor. Um, I can't believe it doesn't come back till March. I got to wait till March to see the next episode. I'm going to forget these freaking eleven episodes that just aired. But guess I got to wait till March and find out who got shot at the uh, Capitol building as the last episode went faded to black. Uh, the gunman from the window shot somebody. I don't even know who he was. Aim- was he aiming for McLeish? Was he aiming for Kirkland? I, I don't. Kirkman. Is it Kirk? Is it Tom Kirkland or Kirkman? I've watched 11 episodes of Designated Survivor. I don't even know Kiefer Sutherland's character name. I think it's Tom Kirkland. Yeah, it's Kirkland. It's not Kirkman. Yeah, Kirkland is the president. But very compelling stuff. I like the edge of your seat dramas. I've always liked those. It's just when I watch this, if any of you that watch Designated Survivor have seen 24, you've got to agree with me on this, right? Like, please let me know. I can't be the only one that sees the similarities and sees that I'm basically watching Jack Bauer in a suit. It's just uncanny how he has the same facial expressions, same speech patterns, the same way he talks to people. You know, when when Nazad was killed in jail and he's walking with his staffer and he turns to him and says, like, we had somebody in federal prison that was just killed under our watch. How does this happen? Exactly what he says at CTU is almost word for word. We had someone in custody that got killed. What happened? Obviously, I didn't say it in Kiefer's voice. He has a way of saying things that make you be like, wow, that was that sounded serious. So yeah, so those are my thoughts on Designated Survivor. And finally, let's talk about Nashville real quick. Uh, a, a favorite show of mine that has moved to the Country Music Channel starting in January. However, they aired the first, ep- the first hour of the first episode that's going to air in January. I think, I think it starts January 5th on the... Country Music Channel. It's going to be a two-hour episode on January 5th. However, the first hour already aired on Country Music Channel this past Thursday. And then they're just going to run that first hour again along with the second hour on January 5th. And good show. I've always liked Nashville. I will tell you this. If you watched Nashville on ABC and you recorded it every week, you have to go to CMT's channel and hit record on Nashville for it to start recording the series on the Country Music Channel. If you just think it's going to cross over like most shows do, you know, it picks up the next season, like The Bachelor, I just have set to record The Bachelor and it records it every season. I don't have to go right before it starts on January 2nd and go in and hit re record. However, because Nashville, for whatever reason, is moving, and we know the reason it moved, but I'm saying for whatever reason, it's not transferring over from ABC, where you had it set to record, to Country Music Channel. So if you are a Nashville fan, you need to go to this country music channel and set your record to Nashville starting January 5th, or else it won't record. It's not going to transfer over if you already had it set to record on ABC. I already had a friend already that um, didn't do that and missed the first hour. Um, But from everything I've read on the country music channel and from their spokespeople and from the new showrunners of Nashville... Because they were on ABC, it was almost mandatory because ABC's programming is like that. Designated Survivor, all of Shonda Rhimes' shows, they love the cliffhanger. They love always having scandals and multiple storylines. And that's why Nashville always seemed to have cliffhangers and scandals and stuff like that. Because they're moving to the Country Music Channel, I heard that it's going to be much more uh, music-related. And it's going to be much more in-depth look at the characters as opposed to every episode ending with a it or, you know, what's happening next and stuff like that. It's not necessarily going to be cliffhanger television like you see on the How to Get Away with Murder and Scandal and Grey's Anatomy and Nashville when it was on ABC. It just seemed like every episode had some major bombshell. Where now that it's on a different channel, that the expectations aren't nearly as high and... CMT, very different network than ABC. So expect that. That'll be good to see. But that first hour was was interesting. I, I I enjoyed it. I mean, I've always liked Nashville, but I definitely enjoyed watching that first hour. So thank you very much for tuning in to episode three of the podcast. Don't know if we're going to have another podcast before the end of the calendar year. I'm not sure yet. Maybe I'll do, after I release the episode-by-episode spoilers, it's possible I come on and do a podcast and kind of talk you through some things. I really don't know yet. So if this happens to be the last podcast before we start our weekly podcasts on Thursday, which would be January 5th, then enjoy these last two weeks of listening to this one, maybe getting caught up on the first two if you didn't see it, but please, if you do, listen, please take the time to rate and review on iTunes. It'd be much appreciated on my end. So thanks again for tuning in to episode three of the podcast. You can follow me on realitysteve.com. You can follow me on Twitter at realitysteve, on Instagram at realitysteve, or on my Facebook fan page, realitysteve. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate it. And we will talk to you soon. Good night, everybody.